you can really talk about your path, whether you want to learn more, you want to share, you've done something really that you're proud of, but women need to start talking about money on every area. I'm Tamina, and I'm extending a heartfelt invitation to you as we join forces in reclaiming economic power for women in a world that is often structured against us. We'll dive into the minds of accomplished female leaders, investors, and entrepreneurs to equip you with the confidence and knowledge to build wealth for yourself and other women. So buckle up, get ready to learn, and be inspired to take action. Welcome back, everyone. I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation for quite some time, ever since I had the pleasure of meeting this fabulous woman in March of 2023. I'm talking about the one and only Galia Gishon. Galia is an independent personal finance expert with more than 20 years in financial services, including nearly 10 years on Wall Street and an MBA in finance. Her career has spanned corporate bond research analyst, personal finance expert, angel investor, entrepreneur, advisor, and author. As an angel investor, Galia actively supports women-led and impact startups. She's the founder of Down to Earth Finance, independent personal finance education. Galia has been teaching at Barnard College's Athena Center for Leadership and Freelancers Union for over 10 years. She has been widely quoted in the New York Times, NBC, CNN, and more. Galia is also the author of My Money Matters, which was featured on the Today Show, and the author of a fiction novel, The Accidental Suffragist. And she also happens to be the co-host of the popular podcast Fiscal Firecrackers with leading actress Susan Teakley. Galia, I'm so, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for for having me. And I love what you're doing. I Aww. really just been listening to all of your podcasts. And, and I think just it, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot coming from you. Galia, I like to start out with the same question for all of my guests first. And, you know, this podcast is all about helping women build wealth for themselves and other women. And I always like to say that a wealthy woman can walk out of almost every room she feels uncomfortable in and create opportunities for other women along the way. Because at the end of the day, financial independence means freedom, right? Curious to learn, what does women supporting women mean to you and how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? So I love this question. I think this was, there's another question that you asked was my other favorite, but this was actually really important to me because I thought about this and I thought, well, what can I do besides my work? Obviously people can hire me or hear me speak or whatnot, but what I really can do and what I think we could all do is talk about money. Just yes. talk, talk about money. So for me, it comes naturally. I'm not kidding. I was at a doctor's appointment yesterday and it's a new doctor and I'm literally sitting there and I'm telling her what I do. And she's like, oh my gosh, I have to write this down. Did a high yield savings account? And it's because I could have just said, can you just check my blood pressure? <laughs> or I could have said, hey, I'm a personal finance expert. I'm an angel investor. So talk about money. It's obviously easy for you and I too. But I think for all of us to talk about money, you don't have to say the dollar signs of what you earn. You don't have to say the dollar signs of what's in the bank. But you can really talk about your path, whether you want to learn more, you want to share, you've done something really that you're proud of, but women need to start talking about money on every area. 
I love that because, and I've mentioned this on this podcast several times before, but growing up, women are always encouraged to spend, spend, spend money, you know, invest money in clothing and makeup, anything that helps enhance our physical appearance. But we're never encouraged to learn how to actually save and invest in a sustainable way or how to negotiate our salary and job offers, right? So just talking about it, it's so important to break that stigma because there's a lot of people out there still saying, oh, talking about money, that's so impolite. When at the end of the day, it's exactly that that is holding us back. How are we ever supposed to uncover discrimination pay discrimination, for example, in the workplace if we don't start talking about it. One more thing that I would ask women or whoever, but I would say women is I hear a lot of I'm not good at and Mm. fill in the blank. I'm not good at money. I'm not good at investing. I'm not good at math. Right. Stop that conversation. Absolutely. I think that also goes back to the social conditioning of girls and women growing up. We're always encouraged to be perfect at everything that you do. And we really start internalizing that over time. And it's like, I won't start investing until I know everything there is to know about investing. But if you attach yourself to that mindset for too long, you'll never start because there's always something new that you can learn. And men, on the other hand, are like, I don't know, let me just give this a try and see how it goes. And that's why a lot of men end up starting a lot earlier than women. I always like to say when I came to college, I didn't know anything about investing. Neither did most of my girlfriends, to be quite honest. But I saw a lot of my male peers open investment accounts, start talking about it, right? Because oftentimes a lot of them had some sort of a paternal figure in their life who taught them the importance of investing and starting to invest early because of the power of compound interest. But a lot of my girlfriends didn't start investing until they were in their late 20s. Some of them still haven't started because there is that initial fear of like, oh, but what if I make a mistake? And I just say, yes, we all make mistakes, but the biggest mistake is letting time go by. And then when I start doing all the math, you know, doing the compound interest calculators and all of that stuff, that's when oftentimes, you know, the hot effect sets in. But getting women to that point, it's tricky. So love that you mentioned that we need to start having conversations about money. Galia, before we talk more about your background and your experience I'm just going to say massive congratulations because you just launched a Tidal River Fund, which is a member-driven angel fund that supports early-stage companies that champion diversity and equity. Love that. Super exciting. Please tell me more. What was that journey like from start to finish? So I live in Connecticut, work in New York, and I've been a very active angel investor for about seven, eight years through some of the larger groups like Pipeline and Astia and 37 Angels, amazing groups. And I started joining other funds that are all women-led startups such as Astia and How Women Invest and Portfolio. But where I lived in Connecticut here, there was nothing, nothing. Right. So I was going to Boston. I was going to New York. I was going to California. And I thought, well, 
I, I love it, but I want to create a community. And there's so many smart women. And then there is an angel group here. So I kept saying to them, can you put more women on your pitch events? Or can you, and I was the only woman in the room. I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. So instead of asking them to invest in women-led companies, I thought we need to start getting women to write the checks, mm-hmm. which they're doing. There's Golden Seas. There's some really amazing organizations, but nothing here in Connecticut that was focusing on women investors. So long story short, I got some amazing support. I didn't start it initially. So Connecticut Innovations, which is the venture capital arm, Anna Lamont, who's the first lady of Connecticut, but also just owns Open Healthcare huge VC firm, they kind of tapped a few of us about three years ago and said, let's get more women writing checks. So for about three years, we actually had regular meetings and we did eight deals and we had probably a thousand people come in. And then next thing you know, they kind of planted the seed to start a fund with the goal of really creating a community here in Connecticut of women investors, but we can invest anywhere in the United States. Our goal is just to invest in diverse founders. That was the very long story short. And then it's basically our own money in the fund. We're writing checks, but we've gotten some amazing financial support and other support from the state really to just launch us and get us off the ground. So I think we have an amazing state here that is really supporting the angel ecosystem and really seeing the value of getting women to write checks. I love that. And what I love even more about your story is you're mentioning here are all of these opportunities in the major urban hubs, right? The New Yorks, the Bostons, the Bay Areas of the world, Los Angeles, Miami, whatnot. But oftentimes, smaller communities get overlooked, even though there are some incredible people who, who live there. So if just from a United States perspective, there are so many smaller cities and and communities that have very strong purchasing powers right but we're not effectively tapping into those specifically as women we already know we need more women in the ecosystem as a whole there are a lot of amazing women that i've met just in new york after having lived here over the past year and a half but i I love that you said hey enough is enough i i still love connecting with with incredible women in, in Boston and, and New York, but there is a need for me to bring these conversations and create and hold a space where we can ask all of those questions and inspire one another in my local local community. And think about if more women started doing that in those smaller communities, if that added up over time, that would have this massive, massive impact on the ecosystem and just tapping into more high net worth women specifically, I think we could really, really have a huge impact there. So I I, I love that you're paving the way. And I am in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Like it's definitely the gold coast for a reason. So I thought, well, let's get these women who, you know, there's actually a lot of smart, educated, professional women who are just in many arenas. But I'm like, okay, this is one of the most affluent areas in the country. Right. Like, Tap that in. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got 24 women. Wow. That's that's awesome. Let's pivot a little bit, Gali. I would love to talk a little bit more about your novel. <laughs> I have to admit, I haven't read it just yet, but the title, The Accidental Suffragist, definitely piqued my interest. Just curious to learn 
Do you maybe have a real-life accidental moment in your career or maybe even in your personal life that just turned out to be a game-changer and it has influenced a lot of the work that you're doing today? I, I love this question. So it's interesting because I graduated college with a finance degree, but I didn't have any connections. I went to University of Florida, which is a great school, but moving up to New York City, we didn't have recruitment. There was nothing... And I knew that I wanted to work in finance, but I had no idea. And this was before the internet, which I'm totally dating myself. So I found my first job through a job listing. Like, I think it was the New York Times. It might have been the Wall Street Journal. Just luck. I mean, is that an accident? I don't know. And it ended up being at Nomura, Nomura, Japanese investment bank in the bond department. Like, it's not something I went after. I'd say it was almost an accident. And it was an amazing opportunity. I happened to get lucky and get a really good boss who was a mayor, but he mentored me. So I worked there for five, six years. But I feel like it was an accident. It's not like it's something I said, oh, I want to work on Wall Street and buy, be a bond research analyst or work for somebody. I just kind of fell into it. I knew I wanted to work in finance, but I didn't know coming from Florida and moving to New York really what that presented itself. So I kind of look at that as an accident, frankly. I don't know if that's... A if that makes sense. But it, it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't dedicated. It wasn't focused. It wasn't calculated. It was just like, what can I get into? I think that makes a lot of sense because I personally believe there's way too much pressure being put on young adults, you know, who just graduated from college at age 20, 21, 22, and they have to make a really big life decision. Okay, what do I want to do with my life now? How do I envision myself having an impact? What do I need to learn in order to survive as a functioning adult, right? I was definitely not prepared for transitioning from being a student for the vast majority of my life, six years of my life, to then being a full-time employee and really experienced a identity crisis. So that's why I think your story is so beautiful because you're mentioning that you had a great boss who decided to mentor you, especially during those transformative years in your early mid-20s, having people who can take you by their hand and guide you through a new role, a new company, a new industry is, is absolutely key and kind of sets, sets a strong foundation for whatever is next. So I love that. And I think a lot of people probably didn't plan to end up in the industry that they end up joining. For me, the same. I work in B2B advertising sales right now. When I was in college, didn't even know that that job existed because all you hear about, in at, at least at Duke, was like finance, consulting. And if you actually have technical skills, you can go be a software engineer. But beyond that, there are not that many options that are proactively being presented to you when you're at that age. Yes, you can do research, but oftentimes you don't even know what you don't know. So that's why having people in your life who have a bit more life and work experience guiding you is, is absolutely key. I would add, too, that I did have this great boss, but I remember and there happened to be very few women in my department. And I actually sought out senior women in the company. And the time, gosh, I think, God, how did I have the guts to do that? And I would just call them again this was before email so i would call them or go by their office and say hey can i take you out for coffee can i buy you a cup of coffee 
And I I got another woman mentor. I remember Liz been there for a long time. And she said yes. And we ended up having coffee once a month. And so I would suggest that and her advice to me was go learn to play golf. She said, you will get the deals. And I said, are you kidding me? And I did not learn to play golf. It was great to have somebody who is just a little more senior and, and seasoned yeah. that wasn't really advice and kidding but yeah I'm, I'm i'm sure she's like go learn to play golf it's certainly a nice anecdote to share and obviously and luckily things have changed i, I don't necessarily think anyone would recommend that to young women these <laughs> days but i also honestly can't hold it against her because at the time if you were a woman in a senior leadership position, you probably very much had to learn how to play the game and be able to talk sports, play sports in order to to even be able to have a seat at the table, right? That holds true today sometimes. Like I work luckily with both men and, and women and my company, there's a, a very healthy gender split across all genders. But Sometimes, you know, when you meet someone and it happens to be March Madness, it's easy to strike up a conversation and geek out about Duke basketball. And that allows me to sometimes connect on a more emotional level with men. I definitely get where she is coming from, but that shouldn't be the prerequisite for women to be invited to the, to, to the table, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was mentioning earlier that the power of compound interest, that's one of the things that is so important for people to understand when when we think about personal finance and investing. And when I came across that concept in my early mid-20s, that literally changed everything about my relationship with money. And I haven't stopped learning ever since. Curious to hear, Galia, when you teach, mentor, coach, educate women, on investing, on personal finance, what's your secret recipe or technique that Mm -hmm. almost always leads to that aha moment for your students and mentees and gets them to actually be motivated to translate their learnings into action? I love this question. I loved all your questions. They were really, they were, they were great. I do a lot of workshops for a group in New York City called the Freelancers Union, which offers health insurance to hundreds of thousands of um, freelancers. So my co- the people that I'm talking to are creatives, are freelancers, they're entrepreneurs, just as smart as any of us, but they haven't necessarily gone to school in this area. And they also don't have a steady paycheck. Um, so I had to learn, and I've been teaching workshops there for 15, 18 years, but I had to learn teaching to this group, I wanted to see action right away. And so I've learned my presentation to do it really in bite-sized pieces with practical action steps that literally you stop listening to this podcast, you could do it right now. And so number one is just get started. Don't wait for it. Even if you have debt, which a lot of people might, whether it's student loan or consumer debt, doesn't matter. I won't mention his name, but there's a very famous personal finance personality who believes that you shouldn't do anything until you get rid of your debt. And I don't agree with that. You know, we get into debt for reasons. A, maybe we're just not from means and such, or just we haven't had the habits, but just get started. So that's number one. Number two, make your savings automatic. Don't make it so hard for yourself. I've always been a fan of these high yield online savings accounts. I remember ING Direct, and they turned into Capital One 360 or American Express Savings. And now they're paying, gosh, four or 5%. 
no fees, no minimums, FDIC insured, open that account and just right away set up automatic savings, $25 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month. You will not miss it. And while you're at it, I like to create different savings accounts for different purposes. So create one for emergencies, create one for if you're saving for a home for down payment, create one for vacations. That's okay. Create one for taxes if you work for yourself. So I find that if you can do things a little bit more focused, people actually see more results. And the next step, especially with women, is just get started on investing. And there's two really easy ways to do it. One is through robo-advisors like Betterment or Wealthfront or Elevest. And I know you've talked about this too, but their minimums are so low if they even have a minimum. We charge 0.25% a year, which is a very low rate. And I love Vanguard. Vanguard is the biggest mutual fund company in the country. Cheapest. Their minimums are a little bit higher, 1,000 to 3,000. But you said something that was interesting is that very often we're so afraid to do something because we're going to make a mistake. You won't make a mistake with me. I guarantee you. And I've seen it. I work with sometimes 10 people a week and I've been doing it for 15 years. Nobody's made a mistake because they opened something. The mistakes they've made is because they didn't do anything. And then lastly, right? This is like a huge soapbox for me. If you work for yourself, which a lot of people, I don't know, people here are listening, if they're freelancers or they are business owners, entrepreneurs, save for retirement because it's probably the biggest area that the freelancers don't prioritize. So you can start by opening a Roth IRA to robo-advisor or a SEP IRA, but treat that as an expense line item, saving for retirement. And I can give you lots of other steps. The other thing is Use your phone, put mint.com on your phone, YNAB, personal capital. Like we're on our phone all the time. Instead of scrolling through social media, have one of those apps or have an expense tracking app. And lastly is, is find a buddy, find an accountable. You know, I used to be a big runner and I would do marathons. I didn't run by myself. I joined New York Road Runners or I found a running buddy or something like that. Or you go to the gym or if you want to very often when we have a goal, we do better when we find other people to share with. This is really good for our listeners with different walks of life. A majority of our listeners are women in their mid to late 20s. Many of them are either planning on tackling the world of investing uh, very soon or Others only recently started investing over the last few years, maybe. So there's always something to learn. And, you know, your approach certainly aligns with mine as well. And something that I always like to say to my mentees and coaches as well is there's never been a lower barrier to enter. Because exactly of what you're just mentioning, this phone that we spend hours on every single day. In the past, when you were so fortunate to even have your own bank account or your own credit card as a woman, because, you know, that only became a thing over the past few decades as well, right? If you wanted to invest in the stock market, for example, you had to physically go to the bank. The minimums, you could not just invest like a dollar or $5 or $10. There weren't things like fractional shares the way they're being offered across all of these different platforms today, right? So if people before us, including women before us, were able to figure it out with all of this fancy technology, then you certainly, as I would assume 
digitally savvy people can figure out how to open an account with a robo-advisor or with Vanguard or Betterment or whatever provider ends up meeting your needs. So I think that's also important to point. And here's one more tip that I like. So overall, I believe for our portfolios, the majority should be in mutual firms or ETFs or these robo-advisor target date because it's just diversification. You're paying for professional money management at a very fractional price. But I'd say depending how much you've got, Maybe if you're just starting out, you can do it with one stock. But this advice was actually given to me when I got was getting my MBA. The teacher held up the Wall Street Journal. And I don't know if you remember the Wall Street Journal. I don't even know. I haven't looked at the Wall Street Journal paper in a long time. But on the left side, they had two columns. And one of the columns was just financial news, and then more like lifestyle. And he said, if you can, buy stocks in that first column. Mm-hmm. And again, he said, keep it to a percentage of your portfolio, because now if you own an individual stock, you're actually a little more vested. So for example, I bought Lululemon 10 years ago and I was like, how's the company doing? Or Nike has this new movie, Air, so maybe you buy Nike. And again, I'm not telling you what to buy, but if whether if you have a bigger portfolio, just make it a little bit or just buy one stock. Like I bought CVS when COVID happened. I bought this stock um, of some cruises when COVID happened because I thought, okay, no one's going on cruises now, but they will go back. So sometimes owning a few stocks, just you're a little more excited. You're like, oh, I wonder how my stock is doing. And you just take a more personal interest. So that's really my goal. You're not going to get rich. We're not day traders. But it's a way to just get a little bit more involved with your investing. And it's fun. And you can talk about, oh, I own Lululemon. How are they doing? And I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Or then you're actually excited about, well, hopefully excited about listening to the quarterly earnings calls, right? Because like, oh, I have a stake in that company. It might not be in the marketplace or you're listening to Planet Money or maybe if you're listening to more specific financial investing podcasts or even so just other ones like that you can or, or if you're looking on a website, you're just you're like, oh, they're in the news. So I think it just gets you a little bit more involved with your portfolio. And again, you can start these fractional shares that you talked about, like on Robinhood. Or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, disclaimer, this is not investment advice to any of you all. Make sure you do your own research. We're just sharing our personal experience here. This is meant to be educational only. We don't want anyone to sue us. (laughs) Um, But I think you made a great point. I don't sell investments or want to. I don't manage money. I agree with you all. (laughs) Amazing. Galia, you and I met this past March, as I was mentioning earlier, specifically at Duke Women's Weekend Mm -hmm. in Durham, North Carolina. And we immediately bonded over our shared passion for uh, women's financial health and angel investing. Obviously, you have over 20 years worth of experience in this industry under your belt. Curious to hear from you. How have you seen this environment change over the years and what makes you just feel genuinely excited or hopeful when you think about the future of women's role in the venture ecosystem? So it's a bittersweet answer, to be honest. On one hand, I see so many more funds out there that are focusing on diverse founders, SoGal, and like Gosh, Golden Seeds, which is, it's become not the exception to be part of these angel groups or these VC funds that are women-led. So on one hand, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the industry is amazing. But then you look at the overall number and it's gone down. I, I don't know how, but that number has gone down. And so 
I'm excited. I'm not giving up. I'm not feeling this, you know, I still feel hope and I feel like there's so much out there. But what I really think is the answer, believe it or not, on a this is a very larger basis, is I think the pension funds need to change their allocation. So if the pension funds say, we will take, we will invest in, you know, if you talk about like the huge pension funds like CalPERS or State of New York Municipal or teachers or if they say we will allocate VC money to women-led VCs or women-led deals, that could actually move markets. Mm-hmm. That's just my big picture <laughs> solution to it. And in, yeah. I have seen changes. I've been a member of the ACA, the Angel Capital Association, for a long time. They just had a meeting last week, which I didn't go to because it was in Vegas. I'm not doing Vegas. But I remember when they went five years ago, they literally had the women's only panel like in the broom closet, you know, if that. And this year, they actually had half a day, half a day of women. <laughs> so it's become more. But again, we need to see the, the actual, the big numbers change. I'm a numbers gal, and I need to see that number go, forget it, even like 2%. We need to go to 50 or 25, 30. Yep. Well, absolutely. And the reality is that despite there being more and more funds that specifically focus on supporting female and diverse founders, as you pointed out, the amount of money that they raise is still minuscule compared to the traditional men-led funds where the minimum investments start probably in the high six figures for one check and go all the way up to like eight-figure checks, which is just just ridiculous. But I do love that you pointed out that retirement funds could actually move the needle because we're not talking about like six or seven figures here. We're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars that are sitting across retirement funds. And if we actually found a way to invest that money in a more meaningful and productive way, we had a whole separate episode on this topic of ESG investing and how you can potentially divest with your retirement funds because you don't necessarily want to, let's say, support the gun industry or the oil industry. Um, But a lot of the default options of these retirement funds include these types of companies, and most people aren't even aware of that. So I do think that both companies that sponsor retirement accounts as as well as the big financial providers should, should be a little bit more proactive about offering education there and and offering different options that have more of a social impact component attached to them. I mean, CalPERS, it's the largest pension fund in the United States. It's the California uh, government employees. Like if CalPERS just even move their percentage 1%, yeah. it would move a market. Yeah. And 1% in the world of finance is a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. That's so. my strategic big picture suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> One final question for you, because I don't only like to always start out with the same question, but I also like to close with the same question for each of my guests. What's a financial milestone you have achieved that you are most proud of? Can I answer two things? There are two of course. Things. So one is when I realized that I was an accredited investor and could actually support startups, I felt really powerful or just that I could see a company and and I'd say, okay, not only am I changing their lives by seeing their success, but then if they happen to be a working parent, which I was for years and I worked in corporate America and I found that very challenging, but now if they're a working parent, they can 
have a balance and still be with their child, but create jobs and bring home a paycheck and have financial freedom. So to me, when I realized the power of being able to write a check, then the second is just go on vacation as much as I want and as many new places. I love to travel. I went to one new country in February. I'm going to another new city that I've never been to in Europe this summer. Leipzig, I always stay in the nicest places, even though I'd like to, but just to continuously be able to travel as much as I want and really have time be my limiting factor, but not money. I love that. And just goes to show that at the end of the day, money is just a tool. It's a tool that allows us to have more freedom and stop changing, changing time for money, right? Because time is the only only finite treasure that we have, right? That's guaranteed that it's going to go away. So if we find ways to buy ourselves more time, more time to travel, more time that we can spend with our loved ones, I think we're on the right path there. Absolutely. And starting to invest and starting to invest early to make the money work for you while you are asleep. That's the first step to creating exactly that life where you create more freedom for yourself and your loved ones. So let's get started. I have so many great stories of women I've worked with for 20 years that are not wealthy. They're not high net worth, but now they can, they have choices. They have financial choices. I love that. Couldn't imagine better words to end this conversation with today. Galia, thank you so, so much for joining me. This was a blast. Thank you for all the incredible work that you do and for being a role model in this space. I am looking forward to continuing to follow your journey. Thank you for creating this space, Amina. Thank you so much. Seriously, like I do not take for granted the work you're doing. It is not insignificant. Having a podcast, getting the word out there, speaking your truth is, you know, you've had amazing guests. So I'm honored to be one of them. I've listened to all the episodes. So everybody listen to the, tell your friends about this. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey there, not so fast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened in from today. Reviews are a podcaster's most important currency It helps me create visibility for the incredible women who join me on this show. And if you've made it this far, I'd like to believe that supporting women is one of your favorite pastimes. If you already left a review, first of all, thank you. But why not share this episode with a friend or post it to your Instagram story? Thank you for helping me on my mission to make women rich by making women rich.